Well, good morning to you. It is so good to be in a dry place right now. Good to have you together. Good to be together this morning. Hello to Blend and Amped and Roan County and Bearden. We're all gathering together as one large church today. It's so good to be together. My name is Mark. If I haven't met you already, I'd love to say hi to you after the service. And we're so glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. Hey, we've been in a series. It's entitled Clean Slate in Ephesians. And if you have a, a Bible with you, a smartphone, you get into, that, uh, into your smartphone, your version of the Bible, whatever, or you have a, uh, an Ephesian journal, and invite you to join in and jump in there with us. And the first part of our series is talking about clean slate. We've been digging deep and driving home what our authority, who, what our identity is in, in Christ, who our, who our identity is, where our identity is found, it's in found in Christ. We've been driving this thing home week after week, week one, week two, we're in week three, we're going to drive it home further. And why is this so important? Why, why is knowing who, who we are and what our identity is all about, why is that so important? I'll answer Good question. Hey, why it's so important is because we actually act on who we believe we are. We, we act on who, who we believe and what we see that, or what we know to be true about ourselves. We act on that. We live it out. We live who we believe we are, who we believe we are what our identity is all about. We kind of walk that thing out. And so the opening segment of Paul's letter, Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesians, the beginning, first 14 verses we spent the last couple weeks at. And what he's getting after is, hey, it's important that you get who you are in Christ. It, it's real important to understand who you are in Christ because that's how you're going to function. That's how you're going to understand who you are in Christ. And that's how the body of Christ and the, and the church itself is going to function. And so he, he lays out a whole bunch of stuff for us in our identity with Christ. Quick review for us. First and foremost, he's talk, he talks about it being a, a we thing. He's speaking to us as, a, as the plurality of the church, that we'd be a corporate entity, that we, we are now uh, followers in Christ. We now belong to him. It's a we thing. And I think that's a, maybe a little bit of a, a stretch for us culturally. When we think oftentimes we don't think of we first. We have to get there. We we in our culture think of me and kind of move to we. No slam to that. It's just who we are. And yet the readers in Ephesians, when he was writing to this church in Ephesus and to the church, uh, the churches in the surrounding area, it was a circular letter that went out from there. He was talking about them in, in the plurality of who they are. He says, this is who you are. This is who we are in Christ. And he gives them a long list and stuff we've covered in the first couple weeks. He says to them, this is who you are. You're saints. Remember that? You're holy. You're blameless. You're adopted. You're sons and daughters. You're people who've been lavished, having had the, the, the grace of God lavished upon you. You're blessed in the beloved. You're redeemed. You're forgiven. You've obtained an inheritance. So that what? So that we would praise God and be a part of the work of drawing other people to him. And, and that's who he says we are. And when I, I don't know about you, but when I stand in front of a mirror, when I got in front of my mirror this morning, I didn't see all these things. I, I didn't see these things. I didn't see the identity of who I am. And yet when I stand before the scriptures, and as we move into and stand before the scriptures, this is exactly who Jesus says we are. This is exactly who the scriptures say we are. So each week, we've been driving home the reality of our identity, and our identity that's found in Christ and Christ alone. Our identity in Christ is based on the power and the authority of Jesus. Our identity is based on the power and the authority of Jesus. Only Jesus really gets to identify who I am, who we are. And, and if you think about that for a moment, that ought to come as good news for you. That's great news because there's a lot of things that I think to be true about me, and Jesus says not so. Only he gets to define who we are and who I am. In the first 14 verses, Paul declares, this is who you are. 
And now as we get into verses 15 through 25, which will be today, we're going to spend time in these verses. What Paul's basically doing, this should feel kind of repetitive to us today. So if you haven't been with us so far, this is a catch-up day. What he's actually doing is he's saying, all these things I've prayed for you, all these things that I'm declaring to be true about you are the things I'm praying back into your life. And so he says, I'm going to pray these things. And, and we get a picture of Paul who's been praying these things. He's in prison. He's been separated them from, for a while, and he's in prison, and he's praying these things back. And so when he gets into verses 15 through 25, what he's saying to these folks is, his, this is what I'm praying to be true about you, and that you'd experience it more and more your identity of who you are in Christ. I was with a, an older friend of mine. So I'm in my early 60s. So when I say older, I mean late 70s. So an older friend of mine about a week or two ago, and we were sitting in a coffee shop, and we're just chatting it up and having a conversation. And I thought, I'm just going to go there with him. There's something different about him. There's something different about he and his wife. They've just seemed to, to shift it in some unique way. In fact, they've always been wonderful people, very kind and generous and and yet there's something even more ingratiating and, and um, inviting about their personality. They, they become even more of a winsome couple. And so I thought, I'm just going to go there and ask them, hey, man, what, what's happened? What, what's taken place in your, in your relationship? What, what's going on there? And he said, you know, it, it's interesting that you would notice, and it's encouraging that you would ask. He said, my wife is, is discovering in a new and fresh way, though she's walked with Jesus some 40, 50, I don't know how many years, She's finding a new space in a relationship with, with Jesus where she's loved like she's never experienced before. And it's transforming her. It's transforming us. And it's transforming, like, and I said, it's transforming your countenance. You, you appear to be a different people. And that's what Paul's getting after here. He's, he's saying to the, the followers in Ephesus, to the church in Ephesus, he's saying to these folks, like, hey, I'm encouraged by how you're living your life, and yet I want to call you to the more. I want to pray the more into the reality of who you are. And so Paul explains, that's how I've been praying for you. He's in prison. He gets word of them, which has got to be encouraging for him to hear that the church that he's established is going well. In fact, they're, they're following hard after Jesus, and they actually have a love for one another. And that's a whole another beautiful picture when you think about the cultural differences that were in that early church, that they were actually loving each other well. And so Paul's saying to them, I'm encouraged by your faith, and I want, I want to pray and call you to even more, that you'd know even more about what God has in store for you, what your identity is, so that you'd actually be able to participate in who, who and all God has for you to be. And so he jumps in, verse 15. You ready? Got your journals open, your Bible open, wherever, whatever you're looking at. Let's, let's do this. He says in verse 15, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, because of this, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe." According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. What Paul's saying here, he says, I haven't been with you for 10 years, but man, I'm encouraged by your faith. I'm encouraged by your love and your, your, your passion for each other and, and your deep-rooted love for Jesus. And he prays that they would experience the more, more of the truth of what it means to be identified with Christ. 
And, and, and the very core of this prayer, and I want you to catch this, is this is unique and, and very important for us to wrap our hearts and our minds around. What he's praying for is that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of their hearts to what is. That the Holy Spirit would illuminate and open their eyes and their hearts to what is. The Holy Spirit alone illuminates the fullness of our identity in Christ. It's the Holy Spirit alone who does this. When we think, think about being illuminated, it's not like the Holy Spirit's coming in and showing you more about your personality. He may do that, but, but the real point here is that the Holy Spirit comes in as he dwells within us as followers of Jesus, and he comes and he reveals all of who we are in Jesus. It's the Spirit that illuminates that and brings that knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is and what he longs for us to know about ourselves in Christ. Paul's prayer for them is that the Spirit would do exactly that. In verse 17, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that they would know more, that they'd more, know more and understand more of who they are in Christ. There's always more, more to know about God, more to know and experience God. The, the, the more the the, the knowing of God is not just what we know factually, but it's what we experience. And you'll observe as we get further into this prayer, you'll observe that in, in their knowing, as he prays for this church, in their knowing of who they are as the gospel has taken root in their life, what he's praying for is that as the gospel has taken root in their life, they'll see and understand in a new and a fresh way the more that God's calling them to be a part of the, the greater work of the gospel in the lives of the world. That, that, that Christ himself has rescued and saved them, and now they're a part of this rescue story, this mission of God. That, that's where their identity is being wrapped up in, in the plurality of, of the, the early believers. And he's calling us to do the same. He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. I don't know, have you ever thought about your heart having eyes? The eyes of our heart would be enlightened, that, that we would understand in a new and a fresh way the, the depth that he has for us. And what he's referring to here when he, when he speaks of the eyes of your heart the heart is like the central place of our psyche. It represents our mind, our soul, our, our whole being. He says, I'm praying at the very core of how you think, feel, and believe. I'm praying at this very deep place in you that you'd understand the more, the more of the gospel that now identifies you, which is thematic for Paul. If you ever read Colossians, one of my favorite books, head over that, the, to that book this week in Colossians chapter 1, you'll see it's almost the exact same prayer. He's praying that they would know the more that they are in Christ. And though this requires engagement on our part, it, it's God himself, the Spirit of God, who illuminates us. And so let me put this in real space and real time for us. This was true for the early church, and this has been true for the church all throughout history. It's the Spirit of God who illuminates. It's the Spirit of God who draws, pulls the truth of the Scripture out and actually illuminates our hearts and our minds that we can understand it and then step into it. And Two Rivers Church, we've heard in, in a corporate way in the plurality of who we've always known we were. We'll be 25 years next fall. 25 years old. We're getting to be adult-like, right? 25 years next fall, and from the very beginning of this church, why it was established, why we're here, is that men and women would experience the life-transforming presence of Jesus in their lives. That's what we've always been about. That's who we're about. And, and as far as it depends on us and leadership and elders and all, that's what, what we're committed and determined to be about. And so we've always set our heart and our mind to that because we know we've heard from God. He's told us who we are. And who we are is, is a part of this gospel movement that God wants to reach the entire world for, for his glory. And so we know we've always been a part of that. And as we follow the orchestration and the leading of the Holy Spirit as leadership and as a church, we've continued to, 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 to follow in obedience to that. We've added layers and layers of, of, of ministries from the, from the early days to now. 
Ministries that would reach different segments of, of a population that have a felt need that we could actually step into and be a part of. We've, we've added service times. We've added venues. We've added campuses. We've added all sorts of, of opportunities that, that we believe God has led us to. We know we've heard from God and stepped into that. We've, we've, we've engaged in new partnerships all around the globe. We're, we're actually, Two Rivers Church has a footprint globally around the world. And we have an enlarging and, and, and continuing to enlarge footprint here in the greater Knoxville area. Why? So the Two Rivers Church could get bigger and be a mega church. Never been the goal of anyone here. Not, not even for even one person that, that has come up with this idea. But the idea for us to be a part of the kingdom work, not building two rivers, but building the kingdom of God, has all been based around one person. It's the person of the Holy Spirit who's led God in and directed us. That's where we are. That's who we are. That's who we are as a people. That's what identifies us. The gospel identifies us. We being a part of the gospel work and ministry identifies us. I hope that's exciting and encouraging to you. In my next few minutes, you're going to think this is an infomercial. If you do, take it as that and, and sign up. But we have an opportunity corporately to continue to step into being the hands and the feet of Jesus. Because we know that's, God, that's what, who and what God's called us to be about. And so what does that look like in real practical ways? It means having a presence in the greater part of our communities. We represent nine counties. We're in actually three counties right now in, in, our, in our actual service times, but also partnerships. We're, we're all over the place. On February 4th, we're going to step out, out into the community, and we're going to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to go into to spaces and places and nonprofits and organizations all over these counties, actually stepping in, hoping to meet a real felt need in people's lives so we have the opportunity to actually point to them to the, the one who can meet their greatest need, who's Jesus, in a relationship with Christ, that folks would experience the life-transforming presence of Jesus. That's what we're doing. And, and you might hear this as an invitation. I don't want you to hear it as an invitation. I don't know if, if the other rooms are looking like this room does, so I'm just going to speak to the crowd, all those who are attending today. Um, you're looking at me like, really? Is this what we're doing? This is what we're doing. I need you to smile about this. This is what we're getting ready to do. We're, we're going to have a presence in our community. And, and, and it's not an invitation. I want, I want you to know this. It's an expectation. I'm actually asking you. I'm personally asking you if I can make eye contact with everybody here and on screen. I'm asking you to be a part of this. I pray that the people who are organizing this event call me on Wednesday and go, what have you done? I don't have enough spaces for people. We're going to sign up and show up and actually be the hands and feet of Jesus. Why? Because we believe we've heard from God. We want to have an impact in the greater Knoxville area over the next 10 years. And by golly, by goodness, and by God's grace, we're going to do it. I hope you'll join us. I expect you to join us. Our new identity is based on believing and experiencing the fullness of Jesus. Our new identity is based on believing in the fullness of Jesus, who he says we are. Paul praised this. This is what the vision that God's given this church is all about, that people would know the life-transforming presence of Jesus. I hope that sounds familiar to you. The knowledge and enlightenment that Paul prays for, for the Holy Spirit to give them, he, he prays for it in three different ways. We're going to cover those things. A deeper hope, a more abundant understanding of the riches and knowing that we belong to him and a greater power that we have access to in the power of Christ himself. First and foremost, he says, we have a, a forever hope. We have a, we have a greater hope. How many folks, I expect you to raise your hands across all of our venues. How many folks were here during the Revelation series? Awesome. Well, then you know the greater hope. What's our greater hope? We have an inheritance one day. We have a forever hope. In fact, when I gave my life to Christ, Christ met me in the moment, and yet he's promised me an eternal space and place with him where, where we're going to be on the new heavens and on the new earth for all of eternity. And so having that greater hope that no matter what happens in this world, what happens in this life, at the end of it all, there's more. 
there's still more for me. God's called me to a forever place with him. And that's been, that's been settled. That's been secured. And so that hope we have in, in, in our eschatological future, where we're going to be spending eternity with him, has everything to do with how we live in this world. If I really believe and know that no matter what happens in this life, he's got me, then it gives me the power to, to, to look at the life that I live in and not be defined by so much of the things that are around us. And I think that's what Paul's getting at. It breathes truth and right thinking no matter what happens in our world. And the issues pressing in on us don't have to define us. They don't have to actually hinder our, and they can't hinder our forever hope. Paul writes about this repeatedly in his letters. He says in 2 Corinthians, So we don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We, don't look, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And what he's saying there is that we, we have a hope beyond the circumstances and what's going on in our lives. And, and if you're anything like me, sometimes that's hard to hear. Because some of the things in our life, in, 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 a, in a group this size, there are folks right now who are struggling. They, they barely made it to church this weekend. They got dressed, they made it here. And the pain that's going on in your world and your life right now, the circumstances you're facing right now feel hopeless. Your heart's broken. In fact, you don't know if you can put your left foot in front of your right, how many more days can I do this? And that's a reality where a lot of us live right now, and we've been, and some of us will get there again. And what happens oftentimes in the most difficult places in life, and I've been there and so have you, what we, what we, we, we fail to recognize sometimes is that that doesn't define us. I get defined by my circumstances. I get, to, I get defined oftentimes by the things that are going on in my life. And, and it's heartbreaking. Sometimes I, I get discouraged. I, I don't see the gospel having its full effect on my life and the people that I'm praying for. In fact, some of the things that I'm hope, hoping for and longing for are further, get further and further away the, the more deeply I walk with God. And it's discouraging. And, and if I'm not careful, if I'm not conscientious about it, what happens is I allow the consequences in my life and the lives of people that I care deeply about to start to define me and own who I am. And I got to tell you, I, I don't want you, if you're in a hard place right now, if, if you're in a difficult space right now, I, I don't want you to feel guilty or shamed about that. I, I don't want you to feel bad about wrestling with the reality that I, I don't know that I can see God in, in where I'm sitting right now, but I want to. But here's the deal, and I'm not trying to be hurtful. I don't want this to sound like a spiritual platitude, but if you're in a dark place right now, you need to hear this more than anybody else. There's no dark place you're in right now where Jesus isn't present. That dark place doesn't define you. That child who's been wayward, maybe never even walked with God, whether that, that child ever comes home doesn't define you. Whether that relationship that you long to be restored ever takes place, that doesn't define you. Whether you, you get a... a a negative diagnosis. Folks, that doesn't define you. That doesn't define who we are. And again, I'm not trying to be hurtful. I'm trying to point you to the truth. And, and that's what, what Paul's praying, that we would know that we know that we know that, that we have an eternal place that God's called us. And the end of the story's not been written. But when it is, we've actually read it. In some ways, we know how this thing ends. God's going to usher us into that place where all things will be made right. He's not done. God, God himself is not done in our story as a church and in your story as a person. And it leads us to the second thing that he wants us to know factually and experientially. It's the reality of being in God's inheritance. 
We belong to Jesus. Paul says in verse 18, he's praying that their eyes would be open to the riches of his glorious inheritance. We unpacked this a little bit in week one. We're God's people. We are God's inheritance. Up until this last several months, when I always thought about my inheritance in Christ and in God, I always thought about everything I, I received from him. And I've received a whole lot. So have you. We've inherited a whole lot being a part of Jesus. Really? Right? I mean, forgiveness of our sins, life with him, the power to live this life, all this. We've, we've inherited a whole lot. But that's not what Paul's getting at here. That's not the message from chapter, from chapter 1 and as he's praying it back. What he's talking about is because of what Jesus did on the cross for all of us, for us, because of what Jesus has done, the Father has inherited us. And we unpack this a little bit. We're, we're actually, we've actually our inheritance to God himself. In fact, he considers us his treasured possession. He considers you and I and us together his treasured possession. I don't know how many of you looked in the mirror this morning and goes, I'm God's treasured possession. Look at me. <laughs> but we should. When God thinks of what's near and dear to his heart, you know what he thinks about? He thinks about us. His treasured possession. All of us have treasured possessions. I have a bunch of treasured possessions. There was one time I actually looked forward to owning a treasured possession. It was a guitar. I always wanted to play guitar. I always wanted to be JT. I'm not talking about Justin Timberlake. That is so new news. I'm talking about JT. You know what I'm talking about? James Taylor. I wanted to be James. Sweet baby James. So all through the 70s, 80s, 90s. In fact, I bought a guitar. I saved up my money. I went in and did my research. The wood grain on that thing was incredible. And oh my gosh, it was amazing. I knew one chord and like I had it for three or four days and I was like, this is never going to happen. I took it back to the store and never learned to play guitar. <laughs> That's what I did with my treasured possession. Hear this. You're God's treasured possession. He's got no buyer's remorse. He's not taking you back. He wasn't surprised once he got into a relationship with you. Oh my gosh, this guy's got some issues. Didn't surprise him. He knows your issues have issues. He knows issues you don't even know yet. And yet what he says about you and about us, he says, you're my treasured possession. You belong to me. That's where our identity is. That's where our identity is found. That we belong to God. And then he goes on from there and he says, Jesus marks us by his power. He prays that, that we would know the power that's ours in Christ. We've been marked by the power of Christ. Paul says it's beyond compare, and he prays that believers would know the immeasurable greatness of this power in verse 19. Now, I don't know what you think about when you think about power. I think about power struggles. People are power, power, power hungry, aren't they? Power grabbing. When you think about some of the powers around the world, around the globe, there's, there's all kinds of battles and wars taking place over what? Who's in charge? Who's got the authority? Who's got the power? You don't even have to look at the globe or the world. You can look at some of the organizations and the businesses and the places that we, we operate and function. I've had conversation after conversation with people. and What, what they talk about and their, their displeasure with where they work or actually where they spend most of their day is like somebody's on a power kick. And it's, it's killing us. It's wasting. It's wasting. It, it's just it's diminishing our team. And so you can think about that and you think, well, I don't have that. But here, here's what's innately true about all of us. We, we all are in some sense of a power struggle. We're all in a power struggle. We're all looking, we're all grabbing power. It's, it's innately a part of who we are. I heard this years ago, probably more of a confession you want to hear from me, but like, <clears throat> hey, uh, the person with the least amount of investment in the relationship has the most power. And I've actually thought about that times with Terry, <laughs> my wife. Isn't that a horrible thing? I'm in a power struggle with a woman I've given my life to? Like, what is that about? That's another sick opportunity for another day to talk about that. <laughs> but if you find yourself in this camp and in this category, 
I'm not saying, hey, let's, misery loves company, but, but it's because it's innately a part of how we're wired, who we believe ourselves to be. It comes out of a place of, of insecurity. It comes out of a place of, I'm not sure who I am, so let me grab for something. And, and even good men and women have done this all throughout history. I love the stories that are included in the scriptures because I think it's an authentic take of who we really are. Remember the disciples? Hung out with Jesus three years to some degree. Walked with him, talked with him, a, life, a long life's narrow way. I mean, they, they spent time with Jesus. They saw a man who was unlike anyone they'd ever seen before. They saw a leader who led in a way that no one in the universe at that time or since really has led like that. And, and yet, after all that they'd witnessed in Jesus, after all that they'd seen, after all that they experienced, and actually in the days leading up to the Passion Week when Jesus was moving toward the cross, just before that, they were doing the same miracles. They were teaching and preaching as Jesus had. They, they had engaged in the, in the ministry and the relationship with Christ unlike anyone had ever experienced before. And, and they get to this holiday meal at Passover the night before Jesus went in, into the, the movement toward the cross. The, the night of Passover, a holiday meal, Thanksgiving dinner, a sacred moment. What happens at that meal? All these beautiful things take place. I mean, Jesus speaks about the future and their, resp their responsibility and what he's going to do, and he's going to send the spirit. I mean, all, all these things he's telling to them. And, and, and what happens at this, at this beautiful holiday meal? Luke says they got into a dispute over power. <laughs> good people. These are good guys. They got into a dispute over power. In fact, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be regarded as the greatest. And he, Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become like the youngest, and the leader as the one who serves. For who is greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? And he's speaking to the culture there. It's, is it not the one who reclines at table? Yeah, their culture would say the one who's sitting at the table being taken care of, that's the one who's greatest and then he ends with this, but I among you as the one who serves. But I among you am the one who serves. He turns the whole power, power paradigm upside down. He, he turns it completely on its end. And he says, you want to be the most powerful? You want, you want to be a leader? A leader serves. A, a leader bends down. A, a leader demonstrates humility and, and an act of service, caring for the people that are before him. And, and you think that was the one illustration where the disciples kind of got like all power monger hungry. <laughs> and it's not. We also see in the scriptures that the mother of James and John goes to Jesus when Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to be returning to the father. And she, she ushers in. She says, hey, would you do this for my boys? Could one sit on your right and one sit on your left? She was seeking power. And I'd be embarrassed if my mom did that. You should be too. <laughs> and yet she did. And when the other 10 found out about it, they were indignant. I don't know if they're indignant because they didn't ask first or they couldn't believe the question was still coming up, but they were indignant. And to the, to the lot of them, Jesus says this in Matthew, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The, the, the reality of, of Jesus's power was demonstrated in, in a place of humility. The one who created the entire universe, made man as he is, surrendered, laid down his life so we'd be rescued and redeemed. That's a power play unlike anything we've ever seen. All the way up to the point of the cross, he bled out for us that we'd be rescued and saved and made right with God, that our identity would be made clean and pure with him. What a powerful move. And this powerful move is drawing men and women and people all over the globe to him day in and day out. Why? Because it's so unlike anything we've ever experienced or understood. That, that's a power move 
unlike anything I can wrap my mind around. Who does that? Jesus. Jesus does that. Jesus does that. And people are being drawn to him left and right. What a beautiful picture. Paul elaborates even further about the power that the Father has worked in Christ. And he says, God's power and authority is fully revealed in Jesus, starting in verse 19 all the way to 23. God's power is fully revealed in Jesus. This power is most fully experienced in the resurrection of Jesus and his exalted state at the right hand of the Father. Sitting at the right hand of the Father is the place and the seat of all authority and all power. And he makes it quite clear in these, in these verses. There's no greater event in all of human history, and certainly in the life of Christ it has had any greater impact than the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus said, tear this temple down, and I'll rebuild it in three days. Why was that so significant? He wasn't talking about the temple. What he's talking about was his, was his body. Tear this temple down, and I'll bring it back in three days. And here's what took place. They, they tore it down. And what did he do? Came back three days later, resurrected. Jesus was resurrected to life. And, and being resurrected to life in the physical sense meant, means that he has power and authority over not just what is physical, but what is spiritual. And as Jesus was resurrected to life, what he's saying to you and to me and to us about our identity, because he's been raised to life in Christ, so have we. We've been raised to life in Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides within us. In Romans, he goes even further with this. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells within you. It's the spirit of God who's raised us up, given us the very power to live the life he's called us to and the work that he's laid before us to get after, which we'll even unpack more next week. I hope you'll be with us next week. The very gospel work that God's done in us and the gospel work he's called us to is empowered by the very spirit of God who resides within us. Paul elaborates even further, and he says, The Father is placed far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that's named. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and is in all. Paul established the reality of the spiritual realm that's taking place. And, and I hope you've taken us at our challenge to you to be listening to Ephesians you can, put it on, you can put it on cycle, and it just keeps going around and around. I hope you've listened to Ephesians more than a couple times. I hope you've been in there 5, 6, 7, 10, 12, 15 times, whatever, that you've been listening to it. Because every time you listen to it, you pick up a new theme. But here's what you'll grasp if you're listening to the whole book of Ephesians, to the, the letter Paul writes. There's a, there's a physical realm that's taking place and a spiritual realm that's happening. And in the spiritual realm, what, 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 what Paul's saying here is, I pray that you'll know that, that no matter what happens in the physical realms, Jesus is in control. But no matter what is taking place in the spiritual realm, Jesus himself has been placed in, in power and authority and dominion over all those powerful spiritual warfare things that are going on. In fact, in, in Ephesians 6, and we'll get to this in a few weeks, he says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual war going on. Anybody know that? Do you know it? I'm experiencing it every day. There's a spiritual war going on. And here's what I heard years ago, and it still just sits in the back of my mind. It's not original to me, and I don't know who first said this, but if Satan can get you at the point of your identity, if he can confuse you at the point of your identity, he's home free. He's home free. If he can convince you something about you that's not true, it seems to me like then he can leave you powerless for the very work that God's called you to do. And that's exactly what Paul's praying against here. He's praying against that. He's saying, I want you to understand who you are and the power that's available to you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides in you. I'm going to go off script for a second. 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday were rough days for me. Rough days. I mean, Monday night I woke up at 1 o'clock. Went to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock, woke up at 1 o'clock, and I couldn't get back to sleep. And I thought, well, what, what's going on here? So I, you know, as I normally do, I, I start praying for everybody I've ever met in my life. Everything I could think to pray for, I started praying for everything I could possibly pray for. And I thought, well, there's nothing, I don't feel anything stirring. I don't feel like anything's going on. Like, I, I prayed for people. I felt led to pray for people. And, and as every hour passed, I was just getting discouraged because I thought, I got a big day tomorrow. I can't lose five hours tonight. And so finally at 5 o'clock in the morning, I, I, you know, I grabbed my pillow and my blanket and headed out to the couch and got a cup of coffee and um, started moving into my day. And so I moved through, through Monday or, or Tuesday that day, and it, it was a rough day. At times I was like, man, just let this meeting get over. It's long. And so Tuesday night I got into bed and I thought, okay, well, you know, chances are I'm going to fall asleep pretty good tonight and get a good night's sleep. So I went to bed at 10 or 11 o'clock, woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning. And when I got up at 1 o'clock in the morning, I woke up at 1 o'clock in the morning, it was like my eyes came wide awake. I, I, I swear to you, this is the truth. Screen after screen after screen after screen after screen of everything I'd ever done that I've been embarrassed about, that I feel guilt about, that I felt shame about. Anything that the most innocent things that I've done that have hurt people's feelings to the most vile things that I've been a part of in my life came back screen after screen after screen. And I would say from 1 o'clock till 5 o'clock in the morning. I was praying scripture back. Greater is he that is in me than he's in the world. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition. Make your request known to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I said that a thousand times. And I wish it would have ended it in that hour, but man, I was praying and reading and, and, and actually speaking the truth back all night, and, and, and the screens kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up, kept coming up. In fact, 5 o'clock came, and there was still a lot more of my life to go, but I had to get up and get into my day. And on Wednesday, that would be Wednesday, I had to sit down and write the bulk of what we were going to talk about this weekend, and it's, it, it, it dawned on me. It, why would it surprise me that the evil one would be after my very identity when I'm going to get up and speak to you about your identity in Christ this weekend? You tell me there's not spiritual warfare? I felt beat up most of the week. Beat up. But folks, thanks be to Jesus, I'm standing here today. I got up this morning. I'm here. We're here. There's spiritual warfare going on. And that's what Paul's praying about. I want you to know, he says, I want you to know the power that's yours in Christ. The very spirit who raised Jesus from the, the dead resides in us and dwells in us and gives us the power not only to live this life, but to be a part of the gospel work that he's called us to. Paul's prayer for the believers He's begging them to grasp that their identity in Christ is based on the power and authority of Jesus. And so it, it begs the question for me and for you today, that then who am I allowing to define me? Who or what defines me? When, when I think about who I am, who or what defines me? And I got up this morning just like you did and looked in the mirror. And what I saw in the mirror physically isn't impressive anymore. But what I saw in the mirror um, on a spiritual sense or, or internally was some of the old narratives, some of the old pictures, some of the old screens that have taken place. And yet, when I look in the mirror, I've learned not to trust it anymore. The mirror is not telling the truth. Let me get real practical. Maybe this will help. Um, years ago, I had a friend said, man, you got body dysmorphia. What? What is that? I'd look it up. What's body dysmorphia? You don't even see yourself or who you really are physically. I had lost 50 pounds years earlier, and I was still wearing the same pants, the same shirts, the same sweaters, the same things I'd always worn. He goes, you're, you're not that person. You're still, you're still looking in the mirror seeing somebody that doesn't exist anymore. And one day he came up behind me, and he grabbed the, 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 the plethora of jean fabric hanging from my derriere and grabbed it, and he said, dude, get you a pair of pants that fit. <laughs> and I realized, I think he's right. Physically, I look in the mirror, I don't see what, what, what's really there. Spiritually, I look in the mirror, and if I'm not careful, I don't see what's really there. 
It's not what I see. It's not those narratives that keep playing around in my head. It's not my history. It's not my past. It's not those things that, that want to define me. It's the person of Christ and Christ alone that gets to define me, gets to define you. And that's what Paul's praying. And it's, it's critical to him that he's praying this at the very beginning of his letter because if we're confused at the point of our identity, we'll never grasp the gospel for ourselves and we'll never know the power that we have to step into other people's lives with the same truth that we've discovered and found. That's why this is so important, so critical. Who, who we see ourselves to be, it matters. It matters. Let me just tell you, week one, in our Live It Out section, the staff meets on Monday mornings. We have staff meeting. We spend time thinking and praying and looking at the scriptures periodically. And week one of this series, we sat down and we answered that question that was given to us in our Live It Out section week one. And it was this, what do I believe about my identity that's not true? And so we sat at different tables and we're having a conversation and a discussion. And these are men and women who love Jesus and following hard after God. And to a person at my table, including me, in a group of seven, all of us said something like this, I don't think I'm enough. I don't think I have what it takes. And if that's what we really believe about ourselves, that, that's how I'm going to function and live and move in and throughout my day. And let me tell you this, folks, the work that God's called us to, to River Church, the, the work that God's called us to is way too important, way too critical for us to have a wrong perception of who we are individually and who we are corporately. Paul's praying, we're praying that God would continue to drive the identity of who we are into our world and into our lives by the power of his very spirit. The mirror does not have the power to define you. Your past does not have the power to define you. The narratives and the space that you live in and these, these phrases that keep coming back to your mind don't have the power to define you unless we give it to them. Unless we allow that to be the consequences of, of what defines who we are. And yet Paul's praying for something very different. He's saying, I want you to have a clean slate. Wipe the slate clean. That's where this, this series has been entitled. Wipe it clean. Allow the Spirit of God himself to define who you are and to put those in place and put those in practice. And I wish we could all pray that, a prayer right now. Walk forward. Check the box. Lesson learned. Let's do it. Let's have our new identity. But, but it's not that simple. It's not poof and it happens. It's an everyday reality of us stepping in, stepping in, engaging with God and putting ourselves in the way so the Spirit can have access to our hearts, our minds, and how we think, feel, and believe about ourselves. And so this week, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we are going to do. We're going to put ourselves in God's way. We're going to put ourselves in a space where we're in the Word of God, where the Spirit himself can illuminate the truth about our identity. And so I'm going to ask you again and expect you again to, to be a part of the live it out section. Walk it through. Be in the scriptures. Allow the spirit to take the truth of who Jesus says you are and drive that in a new and a fresh way home and, and trump some of the, the realities and the narratives that you've had in your heart and in your life. And I believe with, without a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit speaks. I hope you do too. I believe he's speaking right now. I believe the spirit of God is speaking to your mind and to your heart right now and, and, and has been over the last few weeks as we've talked about identity. So we're going to stop for just a a minute or two and ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what's the more that you're calling me to? Not what's not. What is the more that you're calling me to? What is the more that you say is true about me that if I'm honest with you, God, I'm not wrapping my heart and my mind around. I need your, your power and your strength to do that. What is the one thing, just one thing? There's, there's more than one thing in all of our lives. I get that. What's the one thing? What's the well, one thing, the more that you're calling me to identify with you? Let's just pray right now. Jesus, I ask you, by the power of your spirit, would you speak to us? Would you bring to mind for every man and woman, every person present, everyone 
hearing the sound of my voice right now, what it is, what's the one thing that you want us to, to identify with you and, and to acknowledge with you and, and, and to start working at bringing our hearts and our minds under alignment with you? as you do that, let me just speak to you for a second. You think, ah, something came to mind, but that just sounds like me. Let me tell you, you're not that smart. You're not that kind. You're not even that intuitive or creative. That's the Spirit of God speaking to you. That's the thing. You don't need to doubt that or question that. ask you across all our venues, campuses to stand right now. Let me pray for you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Father, I join with Paul's prayer. I ask that you would do a work that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the power of Christ alone who has the authority, the only one who has authority to, to define who we are. God, would you enlighten our hearts? Would you cause us in a fresh and a new way to understand the truth of who we are, God, that we may walk in, in power and in strength with who you've defined us to be. It's in the precious and holy, matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen? Amen. Let's do some worship together. Let's do it.